You're listening to the Fantasy Football Astronauts. Welcome back to another episode of the Fantasy Football Astronauts. My name is Tendyman. You can catch me on Twitter at FF underscore Flavortown. With me as usual is Jetpack Galileo. You can catch him on Twitter at Jetpack Galileo. How are you doing today? I'm very excited. We have a big name guest on the show today. A big star, actually. And when you talk about people that have been in the game for a long time, like, like I don't know, I started playing fantasy football in 2015 and, and really started diving into the NFL then. I, I, there are people that have been around and, and have kind of pioneered things, and that's exactly who we're talking to today. So we want to welcome on Sigmund Bloom. Thank you so much for coming on the show. You can catch him on Twitter at Sigmund Bloom. If you don't already follow him, uh, you're, you're crazy not to. Uh, thanks for coming on and joining us today. Thank you. Thank you for the introduction that I have to live up to now. Um, because <laughs> any world where I'm some sort of big star, everybody should be questioning themselves right now for, for being in this world. No, uh, I love what you all have been doing. I love watching how this is like a wave that has just grown and grown and grown. You think of like those waves at the uh, like North shore of Oahu, they're like 50 feet high and uh, it bringing, it brings with it great personalities. It brings with it lots of intelligence and intellectual curiosity about a lot more than just football. And as we talked about before we went live, um, just a general uplifting presence in each other's lives. So uh, I'm, I'm happy that, this uh, community continues to be robust and and growing, and uh, I you know it makes me feel important and strokes my ego, which doesn't hurt. Awesome. So Go today ahead. we are going to we're going to talk a little bit about what uh, kind of rookie fever has been a big thing, right? And so we've been discussing how each of these rookies um, is going to have dynasty value, and I think where especially where your football guys cite really comes in handy and, and is, is very important in the space is projecting out how these rookies are going to do in their first season. Like what can you expect? How can you build your roster? If you're a, if you're a contender or if you're entering a rebuild, how can you expect your team to do? What are we, what are we expecting and projecting um, from these rookies in 2021? Because everyone has their thoughts of how their career arc is going to look and what sort of talent they're going to be. But there's a, there's a learning curve. There's a, a big, a big element of, being a rookie that you just have to get used to the the NFL. And um, so today we're going to be talking about um, what to expect from rookies and how to project them in 2021. I'm excited for this because it's something that I typically struggle with. <clears throat> Everyone gets excited. I'm excited about a lot of these wide receivers. I think you you hear a lot of this guy's going to be the greatest of all time. He's going to have a, a Justin Jefferson type season or he's going to bust and he's not going to do anything. And we really need to kind of t step back and take a, a big picture look and what is the historical context and what is what can we kind of expect from these players? So, um, Sig, when you're looking at these rookies and just rookies in general, historically, what's the context? How do they perform? And and, and what's what's kind of a, a general theme that we can expect from the rookies in their first year? Yeah, well, one thing is for sure. Um, Rookies matter in, in fantasy football and redraft fantasy football. And we've seen it change over time. I think there was a truism that quarterbacks, rookie quarterbacks don't matter. And then Cam Newton came along. 
And since then, we've seen just a, a cavalcade, like a parade of impact rookie quarterbacks. I don't know if Joe Burrow was going to truly be an impact fantasy quarterback for fantasy, uh, last year if he hadn't gotten hurt. He had a couple of good games against Cleveland, and that otherwise was pretty pedestrian. But this year, we have four guys who could instantly... It's because of the Konami code. Rich Rebar is always like hovering somewhere. Uh, it's the running quarterback. It's the era of the running quarterback, and it's glorious. And it matters, especially because, you know, Kyler Murray scored in the 30s. Uh, Lamar Jackson, the previous year, scored in the 30s. Quarterback can give you a massive advantage now. And absolutely, these rookies can matter instantly. All four of them, Lawrence Wilson, uh, Fields, and Lance. And we'll be watching the destinations because really, whatever you think about them as far as their career arcs, maybe just for fantasy this year, you're looking at their surrounding offenses and the thinkers and, and play callers and decision makers. Rookie running backs have gone opposite direction. I remember when I started out, it was a race to get the rookie running backs in redraft leagues. You know, like you might take a, a rookie in the first round. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I think, was the first to really do that after a long drought because, it, especially last year, you know, it's the delayed impact for the rookie running backs. So you have to be patient. Uh, and it took, takes some good luck. I mean, Jonathan Taylor might not have done anything last year if Marlon Mack got hurt, hadn't gotten hurt, or J.K. Dobbins, it took like half of the season. So you have to be more patient with rookies uh, where they used to make a splash. Now, Harris and ETN could absolutely, because there's like a barren landscape at running back for teams like the Jets and the Steelers, uh, if they go to one of those teams, they could be the guy right away. Wide receivers, we've seen sway leagues, right? How many people won with Justin Jefferson last year? I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, um, and we see wide receivers. And this again, uh, it wasn't that long ago that we said, well, you can't really judge wide receivers' development until his third year. <sighs> you know, now these guys are making impacts right away. And there's a lot of players, seven or eight deep, I think, that could make an instant impact depending on, on where they land. And finally, we get to tight end. And if we're talking about just this year, because in a tight end, Rookie tight ends don't matter. Even Gronk didn't matter, right? Rookie tight ends don't matter in fantasy football. Have we ever seen someone like Kyle Pitts before? I would say no. So this prepare yourself potentially for him to break that rule. Uh, so they have to be on your mind this year because um, I think something that's really assisted, it, especially for quarterbacks, is the way that college offenses have merged with pro offenses conceptually. And the transition is not, uh, you know, it's not a leap anymore for some of these players. So it's exciting. And it's really exciting to start to picture these guys in the NFL and sometimes getting over exuberant about a rookie and stocking up on him. It can pay off right away. You know, again, Justin Jefferson has to be in this conversation. There's a lot of people that were just over the moon. You know, astronauts, right? Over the moon about Jefferson, <laughs> wherever he landed. And uh, it, the, and even having to hold faith through the first two weeks. Remember, he came out of the camp, not the starter. And uh, by week three, week four, everybody knew his name. And they were doing the gritty. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, yeah. He did bring I, the gritty. It's been interesting to see just how you've, you've seen the, the trends change over time and how, you know, yeah. certain players will perform well. And then all of a sudden we're all in on, you know, rookie running backs for a while. And then, uh, and then we'll switch over to wide receivers now and, the expectations change, you know, according to the talent. And I think that when we're talking about Kyle Pitts specifically, he's such an interesting case because, you know, now it's easy to say, 
oh, well, you know, rookie tight ends never perform well. I'm going to rely on that history of all of these guys that came before. Um, and so I'm not going to care about Kyle Pitts' rookie season. I'll get him next year or something like that. And I think that, you know, in, in this context and the way that we're talking about the trends change because players change or because of elite players coming into the league, that, I mean, this is an example of that. Kyle Pitts, for me, he will be a, a top eight, probably tight end, depending on where he goes, landing spot wise, right? Um, but he'll be a top eight redraft tight end um, in the way that I see him just because of his raw talent. He's just a better athlete than, you know, the other, every other tight end. So, you know, there's guys like that that I'm willing to get excited of. And I think it's important to recognize which talent is generational and which talent is, you know, these are like good, good to great players versus who is the, who are the really special freaky guys. Yeah, that's it. Right. I was talking about this uh, on the, with the intervention guys last night that outliers, I mean, I get it. You have these rules, these breakout 55 45 and if you keep following these 55 45 rules you just profit you right. just add up all these little micro profits but it's the outliers that actually make the scales tip in fantasy yep. football and and you ask yourself how does the story a mayor of narrative street after all how does the story of an outlier start and that's kyle pitts right because if you have these rules that say well uh this has never happened before with this sample size uh, and think we can think of it as players. We can think of a combination of players and situations. And the question is, have we seen something like Kyle Pitts before? And even just his draft capital, I'm sure he's going to go as high as any tight end since Vernon Davis, maybe higher than Vernon Davis. Atlanta, number four. I mean, that seems to be a building drumbeat for sure. And I, I would love that, looking at Terry Fontenot in his first draft as a GM saying, we're just going to take the guy that's a, an incredible player because it's not just his physical tools, it's the way he plays the game, it's his skill. It's it's elite skill married to elite physical talent, which is just your heart thumping, you know? Um, so does Kyle Pitts belong in a, a sample size without Kyle Pitts in it? That's what's beautiful, right? Like Patrick Mahomes. We couldn't have imagined Patrick Mahomes before Patrick Mahomes, right? But those right. people who did have the imagination to do it, like Matt Waldman, um, you know, you you can actually uh, at least say there's a chance that this this guy, at least the top end range of outcomes, is higher than anything we've seen before. And I think the closest we've really seen to this in a, a rookie year for a tight end is a guy like Evan Ingram, who mm -hmm. who profiled not the same, right? Kyle Pitts is is a, a bit freakier of an athlete, but but profiled as that very athletic wide receiver, pumped up slot type tight end coming out. And had instant fantasy impact, and I think uh, I think Kyle Pitts is a, a much more talented player than Evan Ingram. But but that's kind of if you if you look at the the success Evan Ingram had just from an athletic ability, um, he never really translated uh, over and and kind of didn't take that that second jump, which is unfortunate. But you're looking at a much better talent coming out, a much better um, prospect profile coming out, and I think that's. If you're if you're looking for anything remotely similar, that's got to be kind of what we're looking for. And and I think um, again with landing spot uh, pending, he could have a, a very much an Evan Ingram esque or or greater rookie season, and and that would not be surprising at all for any of us. I don't think. Just real quickly, he could be like Justin Jefferson. I mean, he could take right. over a game in September, and the team like Atlanta, whatever, just says, "Well, we're going to start running our offense through this guy because he's." He's that difficult for defenses to solve. The Lance Zierlein, I just want to put this punctuation mark on it because I love Lance, and Lance is not 
prone to like me getting carried away even flowery in his language about things in his nfl profile nfl draft nfl.com draft profile of uh, pits he said he could force the other teams in his division to change their rosters you know to react to him and that's that's just yeah. exciting that, i mean I mean, one of the reasons I play fantasy football is so somehow I can get hooked in. Like, again, you guys got me thinking space all the time. Like the comet, right? Like I can hook onto a comet and ride a comet, you know, a Haley's comet. And uh, Kyle Pitts might be that guy. Oof. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that analogy with the the Haley's comet. I mean, if that that really is what we're what we're looking at here. Um, I think that's that's a perfect phrasing of it. Um I do have a question on some of these wide receivers and kind of going back to the college offenses that they're running and, and kind of the, the training that these guys are getting now coming up. They're, they're getting a lot more technique and work on their routes and understanding of the game. So you see guys who, who come in and have success right away because of their pro-style offense where Darnell Mooney um, comes to mind where Tulane runs a very similar offense to the Chicago Bears. And so he came in and immediately jump to that wide receiver too over a guy like Anthony Miller, who I, I also really um, enjoy as a player, mm-hmm. but because, because he already had all of the plays, he already, he already knew everything. He was just learning lingo, just learning the new phraseology. And I think that is, that is something where we were, and I was off of rookie wide receivers for a long time mm-hmm. um, because of that. And now, now you're seeing that play speed catch up and the, the understanding of the game catch up more to where, they can hop in and, and have immediate impact. Couple that with some of the freak athleticism uh, that, that you're seeing now take over the game. Guys like Chase Claypool coming in, being athletic freaks. You have a you have a handful of guys in this class that could could profile similarly and end up end up having fantasy value just because of how unbelievably athletic they are. So the athlete the athletes are are improving, and the college offenses are are improving their preparation for players in the NFL and and that to me is really exciting because wide it feel it always felt like running backs is how you win now and wide receivers is how you win later and it's almost feeling like it's coming to be the opposite right you you can get those rookie wide receivers and win now with your with your wide receivers and win later because their their careers are are longer yeah and why the wide receiver thing is fun it intersects like we just had free agency the football offseason is awesome by the way the football offseason is better than some sports seasons just because you learn so much about teams and what what how they see themselves especially when you have turnover at coach and gm and in free agency you can also step back and take that thirty thousand foot view from the satellite in space of of how the the collective intelligence of the league is reacting to the data that they're getting and what did we see this year wide receiver market bottom just drops out you know Wide receivers getting running back treatment out there, you know? I mean, not really, because nothing. I mean, punters get treated better than running backs in free agency. But uh, (laughs) it's terrible, really seriously. I mean, a little part of me just mourns uh, the running back position right now because of the way they're being received. But wide receiver, you have these forces converging. One is an influx of incredible talent the last two years. Uh, Another is, again, with more of, of the spread offenses and three wide receiver sets, four wide receiver sets, the job is getting more specialized, right? It's getting more segmented. Who cares if a running a wide receiver can't do all of these things? We can just take a wide receiver who does these three or four things really well and and make a role that overlaps 
almost like perfectly with what they can do and they can go out there and do it right away because they're, they're already doing it. Um, and I think that especially when you look at this class and you look at players with the raw athleticism and body control, you know, just playing the game kind of under control. There's a lot of guys I keep th- seeing Kansas city guys. I keep seeing that Kansas city struck out at a uh, wide receiver free agency and their late first round pick, or maybe a second round pick. And, you know, like imagine Elijah Moore in Kansas City, you know, what he could do. And this is kind of leading into, I know where we're going to head, the idea of how much the situation change your view of a rookie. And it should change, it should greatly change your view of uh, a rookie's prospects, um, even though there are players that just transcend their situation. Uh, so the wide receiver position is, I think, changing in a way that is making it easier for rookies teams are just getting better at asking what can he do i don't care about what he can't do tell me what he can do and we'll get him out there and we'll do it so moving into that that next kind of topic and it is a really really large debate and i've seen people go i mean have really big debates on twitter with this how how do you like how much do you weight the the talent profile the production profile versus the landing spot and the position they're in because um, there are guys that <clears throat> came in and you thought might get buried on a depth chart and then all of a sudden rise to the top because they're talent or, or guys like JK Dobbins, where people got a little bit frustrated and maybe sold earlier, Jonathan Taylor and people sold early because they believed in the talent. And then the landing spot wasn't ideal for the first half of the season. How, how much do you weight the two? Is it, is it 50, 50? Is it, is it skewed a little bit for you? Um, that's I, yeah, because that's a, that's a constant battle in my mind. Oh yeah, and and unfortunately, the actual answer is it's a case by case uh, proposition, you know. But we can tell stories on ourselves. I mean, that's one of the great things about doing what we do is you you just can be wrong and wrong and wrong. You know, like the dream where you go out in public in just your underwear. Like we're always just in our underwear. Some of the calls that we make when you're talking about rookies and projecting their careers. Because there's so much to it that doesn't is out of view for us. There's so many times like, oh, I knew Trent Richardson was going to fail because of this, this, this. He just didn't care about football. That's why he failed. Like if you if you knew that because you know you you understood his personality profile or something, then put right. on you. Um, so even when we're right, we're not. We're often right for the wrong reasons. You know what I mean? So we don't even know. Um, but you can look back and, and tell stories, right? Um, so just recently, like so one that sticks with me is A.J. Brown. Because I had loved A.J. Brown as a player. I loved him. But I saw Marcus Mariota and I saw Corey Davis, who I thought still, I still hadn't given up on Corey Davis at that point. I liked him coming out of Central Michigan. And by the way, going back to the rookie wide receiver perception in redraft or one-year kind of window, rookie year window, I think that that, those, that run of first-round picks at wide receiver that all just crapped out you know, they were all, they all were very disappointing is what cooled people on getting excited about rookie wide receivers. And we're totally coming back around. So AJ Brown, I saw attached to Marcus Mariota or who knows what, I guess they probably traded for Tannehill before that. And I don't know that we had really absorbed into our head, the Gase effect, this idea that players can really, it's like they're carrying this 500 pound weight on their back. <laughs> and then all of a sudden they just look like different players. I wonder if that's going to happen with the defensive players under Patricia in Detroit too. Um, Anyway, I I faded AJ Brown because I just thought I love AJ Brown as a player, but if Corey Davis is wilting in that environment in that ecosystem, 
then what? Can, how can AJ Brown grow? And then you just can't. It's unforeseeable in some ways that Brian Tannehill, Arthur Smith, you know, the rest is history. But then on the other side of that, what's funny is I really thought that AJ Brown was the perfect pick for New England in the late first round, and inst- and they did take a wide receiver and said they took Nikhil Harry. And Nikhil Harry was a player that I remember watching and just saying like, um, and JJ Arthago Whiteside was another one. And Chase Claypool was another one. See, so there's no simple, easy boxes here. These one-speed route runners who just don't have a lot of nuance to creating separation. And a lot of people liked Harry because he ended up with Brady, which, you know, in, in hindsight, it's understandable that even at this point in his career, Brady can be seen as one that enhances the value of his targets. Uh, but he and people were taking him you know, third, fourth in rookie drafts really high. And I just, I couldn't even fathom that. I couldn't fathom taking him that high because of just the player that I had observed. So I think in both those cases, the idea is talent, you know, bet on talent. But we're talking about wide receivers. Running backs, on the other hand, in, in some ways, we over we weight situation for rookie running backs uh, the right amount, but in, do it in the wrong way. Because people really care about it. Um, the idea, but what people are looking at more is opportunity, right? This idea of a player having a clear path to touches when really what we should be waiting with running backs is the quality of the situation. And, you know, Baltimore and and Dobbins is a good example. And that, you know, things are just going to sort themselves out. Remember Ingram, I believe was, was still going ahead of Dobbins in redraft leagues last year, going into the season, fifth round, seventh round, something like that. So I, I think when you see a rookie, that is attached to a quality situation. That's more exciting to me again, with that patience than a rookie that we know is going to get an opportunity right away. So I'm, you know, I'm looking at someone like Javante Williams and I know I might, you know, hurt some feelings out there. If I downplay Javante, Javante Williams is a great runner, but he's at least in his rookie year. I think he's a committee back. Now, if he gets on in a bad running game, like the jets or the Steelers, I'm I hate to tell on my Steelers, but I don't know how that running game is going to get a lot better this year. Matt Canada, like that's job one. You might have people chasing opportunity, but but where you might get more excited about him is if he lands somewhere like Tampa Bay, you know, um, where by the end of the season he could be getting more touches and trending up in a in a much better offense than a Jets offense or a Steelers offense. So situation matters for running backs, especially in the short term, but not necessarily in the way that we apply it. Yeah, I think what you were going through with AJ Brown and comparing him to Nikhil Harry and comparing, Hey, I love this talent. How does that fit? I think for us, there's a, or we want to identify that there's a trajectory or there's an arc of the more talented a player is the less that the landing spot matters. And so there's this exchange here that I think, um, you know, would be good to quantify. And so that's what we're trying to do with our film grades. And so as we're going Mm -hmm. in, we're saying, okay, this guy's good at all this. This is what it means for him to be elite. He's in this uh, 85%, you know, or 85 grade, uh, you know, film category. And this means he's more landing spot resilient. And so for us to be able to, to measure that and to start playing with that, I think when we get numbers for these landing spots and we build out our landing spot model, a lot of that will be, okay, well, who are the other players on the team? What's the yeah. like relative investment in this guy? You know, who's the quarterback? All this kind of stuff. And as we, I think, as we quantify those, then we can compare them better. And um, for us, that's really where we're what we're most excited about building. But but it's this, yeah, like you're saying, this concept of I can love a player, 
right? How much hesitancy do I have in relation to how much I love the guy? Mm-hmm. So uh, this is great. This is innovation. This is why we got together this morning. Yeah. Because no, it's really, it's really guys, and and I, I have tremendous respect. I, even the whole idea of FF astronauts, I think the concept is fantastic. Because one of the things I've uh, just compared what we do to is or mathematicians that spend their whole lives trying to solve one of those problems that no one has solved for hundreds of years going into it knowing they might spend decades of their life and maybe just push the ball down the field a little bit more but they're attacking something that's like unknowable you know right and and being an astronaut is is a perfect uh manifestation of that concept so we're trying to to know the unknowable we're trying to pretend that we can predict the future but what we can do and i think that this idea of the, a model is is excellent because, especially in the con- in the context of the talent versus situation uh, seesaw, about what matters in the outcome and when we look back, right? And I think based on what we just talked through here, that at the ends, talent matters the most. So at the most ex- the deficiency of talent or the presence of, of of talent, whatever that means, that's a whole other discussion, a good one, one worth having. Uh, you're either so good that it doesn't matter where you land or you're so bad that it doesn't matter where you land, right? And it's the guys in the middle right. that situation ends up amplifying or magnifying what they are, what they do in the pros. Or we look back at like fit or you know, players on their second contract. And I think the other part of the model that you're talking about, and this is something that's been bouncing around in my head, but I never, I just think of things, I never actually do them, uh, is, is the idea of the <laughs> difference in the value of a target the difference in the value of a target from a different quarterback. So, you know, Patrick Mahomes' target is right. not worth the same as, uh, you know, uh, uh, whatever, a Matt Mitchell Trubisky target. And part of that baked in there is the quality of the play calling, the quality of the system, the quality of the surrounding talent. And you can really see, you'll really be able to see probably that, you know, I mean, early on, like McCall Hardman is going to be a real interesting one, right? Um, McCall Hardman absolutely could stand for the idea that no matter how no matter how good the situation is if you if you're if there's a flaw a fatal flaw in the player it just isn't going to matter because mm-hmm. he's in the ideal situation for a wide receiver to start to to you know but at the same time i think from a fantasy football standpoint this is where fantasy football skews everything i, I imagine on a per route run per target basis hardman still looks pretty good you know the the missing piece is his opportunity hasn't been growing because he's inconsistent because they don't trust him. So this is a real make or break here for him. Um, but I think absolutely we can start to unravel the idea of players as intersection between these independent factors of the player and then the environmental factors and start to see these, like you said, the arc. I think arc or trajectory is something that I, that I always come back to. And we probably would be able to see that players are going to fit in different slots. And based on that early, the, the, again, astronauts, right? The space shuttle, yeah. right? I mean, you, you can tell early on after the launch where this is going to end up. And uh, it's really exciting that so many smart people like yourselves are applying uh, ourselves to this. And this is the part where I say, this is where we need to launch the analytics political party. That's like totally detached from political ideology and just say, we're just going to create models and run numbers to solve things. And maybe that could lead us out of this dark period. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, that, that idea that what, what gets measured gets improved. Right. And I think my favorite thing that I've ever said is 
to, to make what is measurable, what's not measurable. Um, that, that's the most important thing. And so like we have this idea of like, oh, this is so abstract. But when we start putting numbers on it, that's when we'll come up with real solutions. And to, to be able to move into that tier of, of thinking where we're grading a player's film and we're identifying all these things, then we can really work with the analytics guys um, because right now the, the language is different. And so there's this fake conflict of, oh, all you do is look at a screen and you just guess based on highlights or whatever. And then being able to say, no, these are the numbers that I'm ascribing to this skill or to this talent. Um, but on, on Miko, I, I think he's really interesting because he, he pulls back into this um, you know, talent identification or skill set identification that you talked about in the beginning where players are uh, fitting into different roles. And so it doesn't matter that they're, um, you know, do everything. But I think that we can all say a guy that does everything has more value. And I think that when we say, like, when I get into breaking down a skill set and I get into grading a skill set and being able to say, oh, well, this guy does everything, that makes him more landing spot proof. Or that makes him, you know, you can put him in anywhere and he'll succeed anywhere. Um, and so a, a guy like Miko, his utility is limited, right? He's not going to be what Sammy Watkins was. Um, and so, you know, they're probably asking themselves, hey, how are we going to fill that Sammy Watkins role? Miko's not going to be the guy to do that. And so he might have more volume or whatever, but because his skill set is, you know, is what it is, um, you know, it might have some good value because they're Chiefs targets. It's different than when they grab a rookie this year and they plug him into the Sammy Watkins role. That's when you're getting more excited about who this guy is. But yeah, I think skill set identification is, is uh, definitely part of what we're trying to do. Please excuse the interruption, but we want to announce our first ever rookie draft guide from the Fantasy Football Astronauts. It is coming out mid-April, and it will have the best in film grades, analytical profiles, and much more. We will be updating it throughout the offseason to include draft capital. This is going to be an absolute banger. If you like our film room right now, that has nothing on our rookie draft guide please go check it out once it launches. If you want early access, go ahead, head on over to patreon.com slash ffastronauts. The tier two patrons and higher will get complimentary access to the rookie draft guide. So if you want complimentary access, go ahead, become a level two patron or higher. Thank you for your continued support. And now back to the podcast. And that's why we're doing, uh, in all of our rookie profiles, we're doing an archetype as well as a kind of a player comparison, because I think that just like what Jetpack was saying, that gives a lot of context. If you can, if you can say, this is the archetype and now I have this archetype on this offense, how does that fit in? And, and so we're, we're doing our best to identify that for people, um, in all of our film watching, because if you just see. Um, if you just see kind of Rondale Moore's stats, for for example, he profiles as kind of a, a gadget guy. But when you actually break down certain routes and his his actual ability there, that's where you can see and, and you can grade him as higher than just a, a return guy, um, short yardage screen player. Um, you, you can see that full picture and you can get a, a better uh, a better view of someone as you get the archetype built into who they are. And I, I think this, uh, um, Matt Waldman, I, I mean, I, I think very rarely do I do a show without bringing up Matt Waldman. Um, he has an <laughs> RSP. Yeah. It's RSP day, yeah. by the way, this is the day, this is it. It's, uh, it's brilliant, uh, uh, alignment there 
April Fool's Day is the day that RSP comes out. Uh, anyway, he has that access of talent for a player, and he'll put yeah. it at each end. You know, maybe someone who's been a great success and someone who's been, uh, you know, underwhelming in the F- NFL. But there's similar types of players. They'll play similar roles. And then what you can do once you do that, and this is why it's great that y'all are doing this, is then you can look at players along that axis that have been successes, and you can ask yourself, what kind of quarterbacks, what, what, what kind of roles, what kind of usage, what kind of you know offenses were they in, the ones that were good, and you can ask yourself about the ones maybe that fell short, like uh, uh, again, like, uh, yeah. how were they used, or because again, when we look back, like we like to think we're so omniscient, and if a player fails, we know why they failed. They failed because of something we identified, right? whether with our models or our, our film watching or whatever. And it often can be things that, uh, you know, just uh, either were unforeseeable or it really is something like fit matters, quality of organization matters. Again, the Adam Gase effect, right? Um, so you can start asking these questions and this is where the rubber meets the road, right? Like like someone like LaVisca Chenault. Well, now you have Urban Meyer um, who had used Curtis Samuel. There's a lot of people wanting to connect Curtis Samuel to Jacksonville uh, for that reason. And you can start to think about the role that he could play a different role than he was playing in the offense last year. And that, you know, that, that's where things get exciting. So being able to identify that axis of talent that a player is on really is where those, the separation out into those arcs start. And uh, it's one of the reasons the draft is so much fun. I mean, I was talking to Chris DePrazo about this. And there's there's only a small group of us that really geek out about the draft. But what geeking out about the draft does is it gives you that um, context, right? It's like on a show when they say previously on, you know what I mean? It's like previously in this player's career, this is what was happening. And it, it gives everything that happens next so much more context and meaning that gives you the ability to to start to zero in on where this is all going, which is what we're trying, you know, the endeavor that we're doing. Um, so I, I think it, it, it gives you a lot better uh, opportunity to put things in the context of the story of the player than if you're just coming in uh, cold and you probably will attach yourself to simple assumptions that often don't bear out to be true. I love the idea of the overall story and the context of the story of a player and a team and the organization and all of that, because I think I think it's so easy to get just a, a, a cut and dried cold thought of, oh, this quarterback is bad and therefore this wide receiver will be bad when it's when it's more of a, OK, what is the offensive coordinator like? What is the team organization look like? How are they going to use it? What are the roles? And there's so many more things versus this guy's good. He'll be he'll be good here. This guy's bad. He'll be bad there. Um, and, and that kind of leads into the next thing I want to ask is when you're looking at the entire context and, and kind of putting this, this story together, what is, are there landing spots that you, that are kind of dream situations for you or, or landing yeah. spots that are, are more exciting for you with all of this? We already brought up Kansas city wide receiver. Um, <laughs> how about, uh, uh, San Francisco quarterback? That's an easy one. That's low hanging. Oh yeah. Fruit. If yeah, that's Lance, if that's Trey Lance or Justin Fields, which I'm, I suspect it will be, then I I'll take that player over Trevor Lawrence. I think, I think so. Really, I think so. Yeah, because it's Kyle Shanahan. Yeah, hundred percent. It's beautiful. I'm sorry. I, I talk about I'm talking about the same things on the show. Shows I'm going on. So for people that are following me from show to show, 
but <laughs> I think it's great. No, no, it's fun because the trades that happen and what Miami's doing, what San Francisco's doing, Philadelphia less so. But you know, we're watching there. Philadelphia's more of a tragedy right now <laughs> than like a, 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 you know an epic uh, tale of uh, victory. Um, but Kyle on Monday in his press conference, when they asked him about Kirk Cousins, and he took it in stride really well. You know, basically, he's like, oh, I'm always connected to Kirk Cousins. And, you know, yes, I was interested in bringing Kirk Cousins in. Yes, he's a good quarterback. Yes, I've had success with him. Yes, Minnesota's winning with him, and I think we would win with him too. Uh, I love Kirk, but he said, that's not how, that's not what you draw up, you know, and you move up to number three for something you can draw. That's Lance or Fields. And again, this is back to the Kyle Pitts. We haven't seen what Kyle Shanahan can do with a quarterback that adds that dimension to how to put stress on defenses. We haven't seen that. Oh, my. Oh, my. And they got Trent Williams back, and they have Alex Mack. This could get fun. Really, really. You got Debo Samuel and Ayuk and Kittle. This could get really, really fun really quickly. So that's the one where I think Rob put in some excitement uh, because, again, we're looking for those things that we don't know how good it's going to be. That's where I want to. That's what I want to attach myself to in fantasy football. So as you're looking at that sort of a landing spot or, or these these favorable or, or non favorable um, landing spots, how how early do you feel comfortable taking rookies in a redraft league, or how how comfortable do you feel rolling out rookies in uh, in a starting lineup? And obviously, it's it's landing spot dependent. But if if yeah. Justin if Justin Fields lands up in uh, San Francisco. How comfortable do you feel starting him, or or where do you feel like you could draft him in a redraft league? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is a great topic. This is a great topic. Um, uh, quarterback. I mean, the good thing is, okay. So in a typical one quarterback league, you're always going to be able to get away with taking rookies in the tenth round or later. That's not interesting. In a super flex league, maybe you have to take them more in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. And I'm gonna and I'm gonna endorse that. I mean, a, a, a Fields, a Lance, um, Zach Wilson. I mean, I, I think Zach, Zach Wilson's this. I know that a lot of people will point to Trey Lance as the scariest one because of the level of competition. But I think that Zach Wilson is scary partially because of the level of competition, but partially because I think his, his surroundings put him at such an advantage. And it, we got to see him operating in a, uh, on a, you know, like a blank canvas. And the NFL doesn't give you that. You know, NFL forces you into situations and, and, and puts you uh, on your heels. Anyway, um, quarterbacks, I think, in, in Superflex, the rookie quarterbacks, I would be aggressive. Like, I would probably go ahead of ADP. Running back, let's face it. Like, after the fifth or sixth round of a typical redraft league, who cares? You know, you're past your core, guys. So if you are hot to trot, I mean, the thing is, Harris and ETN are probably going to go somewhere they have enough opportunity that they're going to be third-round picks or maybe even second-round picks, which is which I understand. But running back is very deep this year. So... I might not be as excited. Again, it's like my Steelers neurosis. Like I might not be as excited about Harris or Etienne in a Steelers uniform as other people might. Or um, even if with the Dolphins, I'm not sure that uh, you know they would step into a gigantic role right away because it's, the team still has use for Miles Gaskin, et cetera, et cetera. Wide receivers is going to be interesting, and we could even talk about specific landing spots, right? Like Chase the Falcon, we're not really that interested in. Uh, Chase. The Bengal may be more interested in Chase the Dolphin. I'm not even sure what to do with that. You know, they've got Fuller and Parker and Preston Williams is going to be back. So 
I don't think we're looking at rookie wide receivers until the ninth, 10th, 11th round. And then we come to Kyle Pitts again. And how early do you want to play? I mean, I'm playing Kyle Pitts week one, you know, um, I, I'm, I'm taking Kyle Pitts in a redraft league, probably after the top three. I mean, I, I'm probably debating Andrews and Pitts depending on where he lands, you know, Love but it. again, yeah, well, look, I mean, if, if absolutely. And, and that's the, a, that's and a conversation right we had. Yeah. Same, same exact one. Yeah. So I'm, I'm looking at that. I mean, look, it's the way you win in fantasy football is you find players that provide these great returns over what you invest in them. And there's an easy way to picture Kyle Pitts being a player you could take in the fourth or fifth round of a redraft league that um, you make, make everyone envious. You make everybody wish uh, that they had made that pick. So, you know, this is all about, I mean, there's, and I know a lot of people, I'm going to go op- the total opposite direction from astronauts and science here, right? And see, some of it's just like emotion, you know, some of it is just emotion and excitement and, um, you know, visualizing things and, uh, and just how, how much uh, fun something could be. I wrote something a few years back about fantasy football and optimism, you know, like using optimism to help you in fantasy football, because I think that that's how you find those players that tilt leagues is, is being almost over exuberant, um, in your in your sense of what's possible for a player, so this is all all roads lead back to Kyle Pitts in this show. I think. <laughs> I think that's what we're going to call it is uh, the Kyle Pitts Haley's comet. I think that's going to probably end up being the the title of the episode. Um, are there are so? I mean, this isn't on the show sheet, but talking about some of these outliers, it feels like. Guys like Rondale Moore and Devonta Smith or Bo and Elijah Moore—they're all—they're all outliers as far as what you're looking for in your prototypical wide receiver. Are there are there outliers that you've kind of identified for this year, or you or, or how how comfortable are you ranking these these quote unquote outlier wide receivers in that top five, top ten? Because there there's so many people that as soon as Rondale Moore. Um, kind of had his pro day and, and turns out he's five, seven and not five, nine immediately. They're like, Oh, no one's, no one's ever done this. And we, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but, but specifically with some of these guys, how, how are their outlier concerns? The Devonta Smith weighing um, one seventy, soaking wet and Elijah Moore being short and, and all of those things. How, how are the outliers in this class kind of um, weighed in and, and how are you grading them? Yeah. You might ask, so, you know, again, we get into th- this is a good topic to just jump off into larger uh, debates. Right. And again, going back to like, this is why we're here. We're here like we're doing academic work. I've often thought of our little fantasy football sandbox as like an academic uh, uh, division at a university, you know, like the, the whatever. We're the fantasy football department. and We're all doing our research and we're all like admiring and learning from each other's research but knocking each other's research down and poking holes in it you know like alternatively being like combatants with the sword and shield and then also like like you know uh lauding each other's work and building on each other's work stealing from each other's work you know um i think the lyceum is another concept here so you have this idea of outliers but i would i would say like guys like how far back is relevant if we're talking about nfl passing games like, is what, what they were doing in the passing game in 2000 relevant right now? 2005? 2010? You know, I mean, I, I don't know the answer to this. But if we're talking about outliers and we're looking back farther than, like, five or ten years, 
I don't know how probative that is when we're talking about a wide receiver coming into the league right now for reasons we've talked about already on the show. So, you know, I, I think that it is assuming that the next iteration is going to resemble something in the range of the previous iterations is something that we continue to see um, uh, broken as, as a truism about like reality, not just about fantasy football, you know, climate change. Right. Uh, Anyway, (laughs) anyway, I think that if Devontae Smith, and and we can even go look back and I say that, and I can talk out of both sides of my mouth and say, we can go back to Marvin Harrison. Um, I knew uh, Matt Walden threw out there that Smith's uh, nickname, a nickname for Smith is the slim reaper is an excellent Mm -hmm. one for him. Uh, And then you get back to the way he plays. So I think in today's NFL, Moore's height, um, Smith, you know, more body mass index and things like that. uh, I don't think that matters as much. I I just think that the the game has changed so that they're not really outliers anymore. And I I think we saw a shift, right? It was three or four years ago now when the big wide receivers all took a tumble, you know, because we're all like children of Megatron, right? Again, back to uh, yeah. Kyle Pitts. You know, we're, Megatron is like, again, the, there's a space angle there too. You know, and we're looking for the next Megatron. We're always looking for the next Megatron. And then that one draft, and Cortland Sutton went in the second round, and then all the other big receivers, all the other big contesting catch guys, all fell down the board. And and you saw it, a shift to players, uh, and we're seeing it now, right? Like Terry McLaurin. Deontay Johnson. It's more the Antonio Brown archetype. Um, players that maybe aren't necessarily true burners, but they win in they win with their route running. They're players that play fast and play under control. And and their size isn't how they're winning. Um, their frame isn't so yeah, it was with Rondell Moore, like guys like let's just run this through in like a scientific way. Like are there plays that if Rondell Moore was 5'9", he would have made that he's not going to make because he's 5'7"? But is he going to be it's, used that it's, way? It's, that's, yeah. that's the question. Well, you and that's where we get to the assumption of rational like personnel management, that the team that takes right. him is the team that likes him the most. And hopefully the team that likes him the most has the m- most accurate v- view of him. You know, I guess you would say probably the team that has the most accurate view of a player is one that... It doesn't take the player in the draft because they're in the middle, right? The most optimistic team is going to be the team that takes the player, but you would hope it aligns with what the player's good at. But with Rondell Moore, just, you know, taking the Rondell Moore discussion one step further, if Rondell Moore fails, and I think the main hesitation in the NFL, because we're always looking at draft capital too. I mean, everybody likes to slam the NFL as dinosaurs, but actually I think they do a really good job. They do a tremendous job. Again, this unknowable thing. You know, there's this big human element to this that nobody can really uh, predict accurately. And draft capital is our clue, right? That maybe an outlier isn't an outlier. You know, if, if it looks like an outlier because it's the NFL, I mean, sometimes there's the crazy organization that invests in a player way ahead, you know, Darius Hayward Bay to the Raiders or whatever. But for the most part, draft capital is a pretty good uh, indication of based on this package that this player offers, this is what the NFL thought they were worth. And if Ron Dale Moore falls to the second or third round, he's almost, I don't think he's going to go in the first round. So, I mean, I should say third round, let's say. It will more likely be because of his injury history than because he's 5'7". 
And then we're going to start getting into, again, that thing of if Rondale Moore fails because he just gets hurt and starts to break apart. It's like Percy Harvin without a good part of Percy Harvin's career, you know? Mm-hmm. Then people are going to say, I see 5-7. And it might have nothing to do with 5-7. Right. Right. Yeah. No, that's fair. Yeah. And I, I just did a write-up on on uh, Rondale for that that same thing is there's there's two reasons. And you can't – when you're when you're looking into the minds of these NFL GMs, it's you can't see which – which thing it is that made them jump up the board. I mean, with, with Miko Hardman, yeah, you saw his speed, but you don't know what's going on in Kansas city that they're like, Oh yeah, we have a fit for this guy. You, you just, all you see is, yeah, he's, he's wicked fast. Um, and, and so you don't get the, you don't get the full picture and we, so we try our best, but I, I 100% agree. I think oftentimes we miss on that. And, um, and, and part of that is like, I'm a, I'm a bears fan. So seeing Kevin White, yeah, he was injured and stuff, but when you look back now, you you actually when you're when you kind of get out of that that Calvin Johnson type player and you see, okay, he he was he had all the athletic measurables. He didn't have the actual play style. He didn't have the actual ability that you wanted. He was he was a pure upside pick. And so people say his career was derailed because of injuries, but now he's been on other teams and and still hasn't done anything so is it is it injuries partly is it talent maybe maybe that's that's part of what it is as well so i think i I think that's a a a huge piece jetpack you're going to say something yeah i think you know there's something about you can take all of the minus 180 pound guys and you can look at all them and you can say oh they all sucked or they weren't good at football and devonta smith is the first one that's good at football and we'll see that with the draft and I, i think that's that's where we're at is you know, I can I can run percentages on things, but I don't know. Like, I need to compare that to draft capital. How many of these guys failed that were taken highly? How many of these guys failed that you know were thought of highly? And when we run those numbers, I, I think it gets a lot more interesting. Um, like Marvin Harrison, I forget when, when he went in the draft, but he was a I think he was a like you know, top fifteen. Yeah, he's a he's a big name guy, right? And so it's like, well, this is a talented player, and so how he wins or what that looks like in comparison to the larger cohort doesn't matter because you know that, you know, there's some relative talent there and that's different than, you know, everything else. But, um, yeah. Can we get to the real reason why we brought you on the show? Yeah. yeah. So uh, the, the, yes. the, the thing is, you know, mm-hmm. we started looking at moon phases and you know, I was blown away by what I was finding about Will Fuller. And, and then you came out and you told me that you're an astrologer. Or that you were an astrologer, so I'd love to hear that story. What you yeah. know, how that all came into being. Well, this all these things tie together, right? It's fantastic. Um, and by the way, it's just as a, a punctuation mark on what we were talking about. Um, failure in the NFL is a taboo subject, and we often never get the real story of a player's failure and what happened. You know, you brought up Kevin White. I think the Kevin White part of the story is just confidence. You know, he had the stress fractures early. And he just never, in a way, this is like a way of speaking, got his feet under him. But, you know, it just it, it, it never really took off. You know, with Nikhil Harry, it can be just because Tom Brady is going to is going um, bribe you if you're not doing it, you know? I think that's what happened with Peyton Manning and Cody Latimer. And confidence is so important. So important for players. So important. Um, you know, you even saw Kenny Moore talking about, like, in, in, in New England, he just was miserable. It just he hated football when he was in New England. He went to Indianapolis and he turned into Kenny Moore. So there's just there's there's a human part of this, um, and this all ties together. So long story short, and everybody's very indulgent. 
it's you know y'all were so gracious saying I'm a you know, big name or a star or something like that and I come on and I feel like I'm a compulsive talker I mean this whole thing of podcasting and getting to host shows and be on shows is almost too indulgent for me because I like the sound of my own voice I like talking to people <laughs> and um I went to law school there's stories upon stories behind that I shouldn't have gone to law school and I knew early on in law school I knew that the orientation at the the beginning of the first year of law school that I was not going to be an attorney and I should not be in law school. I just looked around me and looked at the people that were around me. I thought, Oh, I'm, I'm, I got, oops, I took a wrong turn somewhere. <laughs> this is not, this is not where I'm supposed to be. Um, and I was looking at alternative careers right away. Like, okay, well, what am I going to do? And astrology, um, and I actually have, um, fortune tellers in my bloodline. Um, my mom, uh, she didn't talk to, about it to a lot of people, but she she saw people's past lives. Um, I had a great grandmother, I think, that read tea leaves. You know, so astrology um, and astrology. Uh, we can get to Carl Jung, and it's funny because I'm talking about Carl Jung with Eric Stoner right now, who's like Eric Stoner, like in our world. I mean, he, for me, he's on a pedestal. He's one of the people I love talking football with more than anybody else. And we're talking about Carl Jung right now. And you get into archetypes. I think the Carl Jung quote is something like, um, like a, like a, like a grape. Like we are all born in a certain time and place. We're a vintage of that time and place, you know. Um, and the easy thing about astrology is, <clears throat> like people will pay you to talk to them about them. Who, who, like. Like what, to, again, like y'all are so gracious. Like who doesn't love hearing people talk about them? I mean, I guess there's like gossip and bad things, but everybody loves just to sit there and have someone like, tell me about me, <laughs> you know? What do you think about me? What do you see when you see me? So there's a lot of, it's really not that difficult, you know, to, to learn how to do a birth chart. I mean, it's, there's, there, I don't want to say there's science to astrology, but there's something that is like a clear set of guidelines, you know, and math too i mean you get into like the angles that planets are from each other like amplifying each other's power or, or diminishing each other's power and things like that um and i think that astrology what is astrology true who cares if astrology is true that's not what astrology is for <laughs> astrology is not for whether it's true or not astrology is again carl jung i mean astrology is in the field of mythology you bring up the archetypes you know that's carl jung um, astrology is in the field of spiritual, um, astrology is in the field of like things that we have to tell ourselves to ground us in this reality, get stories we tell ourselves about ourselves to give meaning and purpose to ourselves. Like for some reason we have these, these oversized frontal lobes, you know, that just give us, um, awareness right like no other animals are out there like breaking apart reality to find the little invisible sub parts of reality and man and manipulate it you know what i mean right there's yeah, we, yeah. We, some might argue we, like it's, it's part of a lot of stories that like we're touched with the creator energy you know what i mean like we're all creators content creators yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah um and and i think that that the these concepts of astrology is thinking of ourselves as part of this giant clockworks you know, and we fit in the clockwork. Like we're one little gear in this giant clockwork that all spins together in a beautiful harmony and symphony, even though maybe to us it feels discordant. We're like at our little point that we're at on it. 
And uh, so it's like poetic. I mean, it's it's more romantic, um, but it helps, especially um, again with ideas of like meaning, purpose, significance. And I can I'll turn this all full back circle and say that um, in our little fantasy football world, you know, it's this perfect uh, unity of opposites where fantasy football is is pointless, but we use it as a way to actually have meaningful relationships with each other. And uh, that's, you know, that's the actual story, even though our handshake and what we're talking to each other about is football. Um, it's really just being present in, in each other's life in a kind of respectful way. Like we all want to be seen and heard again. This is podcast nation, right? We all want right. to feel like we're seen and heard. And that's what, what we're doing for each other. And uh, it, it's 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 fun to continue to, to ride that wave with everybody. Yeah, I love oh, that. Awesome. There's a you know, this reality that the spiritual stuff is real, right? And there are so many things that we can tie back to or connect in the way that we understand the world and we make decisions based off of those things, right? And so I think that that's such a, a fun way of like, one, how do we identify each other? How do we relate to each other? But then, you know, how do we make decisions on, you know, silly things that end up, you know, connecting us? So yeah, just... Awesome, just to get your perspective and hear that. This is what we really want to talk about. This is yeah. this is the this is the good stuff. You know, we all spend our lives on being productive, right? We have to be productive, but it's all the other stuff that I think is where our souls are expressing themselves. I'm down here in New Orleans, and the idea is there's we have one foot in the spirit world and one foot in the physical world. But I think we're in an era when everybody wants to um, reduce everything down to the physical world. You know, like an insect on a pin in a little box that you look at. Like, that's not right. reality. Reality is, has flow. And uh, I think where we feel that flow is when we get out of ourselves, out of our ego. And one of the ways we do that is like hanging out and talking to each other. Yeah. I, I love uh, podcasting, especially um, Jetpack and I have been friends for for years. So so reconnecting and and every week and talking about something every week and, and getting guests on and learning about them. It's It's... The, the interpersonal part of fantasy football is such a fun piece and and it is fun to win and it is fun to make trades and there's there's exhilaration that happens like within the game itself but it, you you hit the nail on the head and that's why that's why Twitter is a great um, kind of connecting place and and why the online has has made it the internet has made it just just so much more fun you can you can reach out you can connect you can listen to people. We can we can have people that that we've never met in person and may may never meet in person, and we can have conversations with them, um, and 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 really have a, a and you talked about production, really have a productive conversation where everyone kind of expands their minds and everyone gains a greater understanding. And I it's it's an absolute blast, and it's really why we got into this in the first place um, was because we wanted to hang out and talk football and and meet people and and. Now it's kind of snowballed to where it's at now, but it's it it always comes back to that interpersonal piece, and I, I love that. Yeah, we 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 like each other's company. That's great, you know. Well, because I think before the internet, it's it's it's, it's everything is again the unity opposites or paradoxes, right? Because the 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 internet is like alienating us from each other. It's isolating us, and and at the same time, it also allows us to reconnect or find like minded people to connect with that we wouldn't have been able to easily connect with. You know, just. Um, subcultures, you know, uh, uh, it was, it was a, back when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> you had to work hard to be part of a subculture, 
you had to subscribe to zines, you know, <laughs> and things like that. You couldn't just get on the internet and find weirdos like you that made you not feel weird for being weird. Uh, and it's so it's it's great. And uh, I just look look forward to to all, all of our future interactions. And I really look forward to the astronauts, really, because I think if by naming yourselves the astronauts, you're, you're really I mean, I'm picturing like the right stuff and like walking, you know, in a spacesuit, you know, you're, that's lofty ambitions. So I'm glad I'm honored even to to have astronauts in my circle. We appreciate that. Yeah, uh, that means a lot. But um, too, just just to what you were saying about creating, I think that's yeah. that's so cool. Like when we create, we mimic the creator, or when we yeah. when we when we speak, then we feel empowered to you know kind of mimic the creator in that way too and mm -hmm. and then so then listening to each other is so valuable right and listening to each other and the way we communicate and we give other people a voice i think that's you know then we're really clicking into something special the observer so. changes the reality right quantum physics uh, yeah. the observer yeah. changes the reality so the observer is as important as the creator it's in the in a text for a, a text to take on power it has to have a sender and a receiver they're both holy like sacred roles and there's a lot of really great listeners in our world absolutely yeah so great to create with you and listen yeah. to you and all yeah. that today is awesome having you on yeah fantastic guys thanks for having me thank you so much um and before we go here is there anything you want to share with our listeners any fun projects uh stuff you got going on that you want to leave our, our listeners with and obviously follow follow Sigmund and, uh, at, at Sigmund Bloom on Twitter for all this stuff as well. And just doing the typical stuff that football guys um, shows and, and gracious folks like yourself have me on around and the Bloom 100 will be out um, behind the family stuff as you get older. Enjoy your youth out there, everybody who's still young. Uh, and uh, it's just fun. I just want to help everybody. I want to share with everybody just getting really excited about the draft. The draft is exciting. Dare I say the draft for some of us is more exciting than any singular football game, you know, uh, because it's like plate tectonics. I mean, it's like big, big gears are turning, you know, the gears that are turning in an individual game, even the Super Bowl is confined to like the impact of one year. These gears resonate for years, decades even. So uh, the draft is exciting. I want to help everyone be as excited as I am about it. Absolutely. Awesome. Well, thank you for coming on. Um, we are the fantasy football astronauts and we are blasting off again. <laughs>